0: This morning we are starting a series of 1 Thessalonians, Uh, probably we'll go through 2 Thessalonians as well. Uh, So we're starting Worthy Living, Called to His Kingdom and Glory. I'll explain that all later on. Uh, I gave you some space in your bulletin to take some notes this morning. Always when we start a new book, I take the time to set up all of the background information for those of us that are kind of nerdy that way. We like the whole setting and the background and what's going on and when and where and what, and so I'm going to spend some time on that this morning, but we are going to get through the first few verses uh, of service, and then uh, depending on how time permits, uh, we may have a little bit of prayer time at the end, okay, because our text just sets us up for it. So you all look alive and well. That's good. Springtime hits us hard, doesn't it? I uh this morning getting ready for service. I love I'm excited about starting a new series. I'm excited about church. But I'm looking out in my backyard and I'm like, Mmm Need to mow the yard, need to fertilize the flowers. <laughs> Love to be outside this time of year, especially if the wind's not blowing. Here we go. Introduction to Thessalonians. I enjoy the epistles that are written to specific churches in the Bible because it gives us a chance to have a small glimpse of New Testament churches that have good things happening, uh, but that may also have a few bad things happening, right? Because I think sometimes we're looking for the perfect church, and I just want you to know that there's no perfect church, not even in the New Testament, I mean, Desert Heights comes pretty close, but not even in the New Testament. I just thought I would get an amen there. That's, I was weak, huh? Yeah. Not even in the New Testament. So this church at Thessalonica, um, they're having some problems. There's some great things that are going on, but they're having some problems too. And so if you're, if you're looking for the perfect ch- church, uh, I just want you to know that whenever I find perfect people, then we'll have a perfect church. Until then, we'll work with what we got, Right? We're going to get along. Okay, good. The church at Thessalonica is trying to balance the practical expression of two significant doctrines. Okay? So we have all these doctrines that come from the Bible and they have to work together in a practical way in our lives and how they're lived out. The first or one of these doctrines that they're trying to work out is living a life that overtly identifies them as Christians. I'll explain this more in a minute. Uh, In the then and there... In Thessalonica, the the Greeks, or the the Gentiles who became believers, they were called God-fearers. So the first issue that they're dealing with is living a life that overtly identifies them as what would have been called God-fearers. I like that. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Are you a God-fearer? Yeah, I am. Right? It seems more manly. Are you a follower of Christ? No, I'm a God-fearer, buddy. You should fear God, too. Want some of this? <laughs> yeah, so God-fearers. So they're trying to figure out how to, how to live their lives overtly, openly as Christians. Here's, here's where it begins to rub. Number two... They're having to balance out the belief that Jesus will soon return and all this earthly stuff that we put so much emphasis on is going to make no difference whatsoever. So living overtly for Christ, being a God-fearer, and uh, Jesus is coming back and what really matters. Okay, So if they openly live Christian lives... If they live openly Christian lives, they invite criticism, probably persecution and actually in this setting possibly even death. Are you with me so far? Salvation is based on the work of Jesus on the cross. Coming out of Easter, we should understand that. Salvation is work is based upon the work of Jesus on the cross. So it stands to reason that you can live a, watch this, you can live a covert Christian life where nobody knows. And you can still be spiritually prepared for Jesus to return. Are you following the logic here? I'm not making a case that's right. I'm making a logical case, okay? So if you're if you're at Thessalonica, you're like, do I live for Christ openly and risk persecution and possibly death? Because... My living openly for Christ has nothing to do with my salvation. I can be saved quietly and hide my salvation. Nobody can know, and I'll still make it to heaven. There is no need to publicly display Christianity. Fitting in, hiding in the open, it kind of keeps us safe. Don't allow your private, personal Christian beliefs... To get you in trouble publicly, just blend in that's what the world wants of us anyway and then you don't want to you don't want to create a problem for yourself so just be a Christian but be a quiet Christian. That is the conundrum that's a great word isn't it That's the conundrum of the church in Thessalonica. We want to live in the fullness of what God has provided for us, but if we do, we're going to be persecuted. So should we back off and be quiet about our salvation and our Christianity? Should we be silent God-fearers? Or should we uh, overtly live for the glory of God? So you can see... That the church at Thessalonica almost 2,000 years ago was dealing with the same problems that believers like you and I are dealing with today. Christianity has its place in our society. Just make sure that Christianity stays in its place, right? Its place is in the church building. Church buildings that are marked clearly so that no one would accidentally go in and hear the offensive message of sin and salvation through the death and resurrection of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. We don't want to offend anybody, so keep your religion, keep your Christianity inside the auditorium of the church. Don't let it eke out in your lives. Don't bring it to work. Surely don't bring it to your children's schools. Keep your Christianity at your church. Don't let it get out into society. If and when we need you, we'll call on you. Otherwise, do not impose your bigoted and narrow-minded beliefs on those around you, especially by living as though you have something better to live for than the rest of us. I'm being sarcastic. Did y'all get that? This is where America stands in regard to Christianity today. We live in the same spiritual environment that Thessalonica did. So how are we going to deal with it? Well, I'll tell you later. First, we're going to talk about Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. Macedonia is ruled by Rome, by the Greeks. Uh, I think that we have, oh good, we have a picture. I love pictures. Do you guys like the pictures? We like pictures. I like maps. I like to know where we're at. You can see in the middle of the map there, there's Thessalonica just beside, between uh, Berea and, and Philippi. So Thessalonica is, it on the Aegean Sea, so it's a, it's a port. Uh, it was an important commercial trade route, the Via Ignacia. Uh Thessalonica was the cool, hip, trendy city. I think of it kind of like Rio Rancho. It's where all the cool people go. <laughs> I always thought it'd be fun to start a church in Rio Rancho. But it'd have to be really, really, really cool. I'd have to get skinny jeans. I went to, went to Buckle, and they, they, they told me they don't make skinny jeans in my size. I hit that little girl. <laughs> Kidding. It was a guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm really kidding about the skinny jeans. Anyway, so there's also there in Thessalonica, there's a bunch of Jews and there's a bunch of Gentiles, and it's this mixed group of people. And that's, what's, that's part of what's causing the problem in this setting is that Paul and Timothy and Silas, is they, they go to the synagogue, to the Jewish synagogue, and they present Jesus the Jew who has come to save the Gentiles. No, he didn't. The Jews don't like that, Right. It's kind of like sometimes churches, they get in this mode where we're here to reach the lost. Well, we'll reach the lost as long as they look and act like us. But if they look and act differently, then, well, I don't think that the gospel's for them. Are you with me? Okay, so here we go. Uh, Back to the map. Uh, On the right-hand side of the map is Asia Minor. A little further to the west, what you cannot see is... uh, Israel the land of Israel would be further to the right uh, on the left hand side you see the boot of Italy uh, do you know where you're at then in the in that area of the world some of you are looking blank i couldn't zoom that map out any more than it is that's just the way i stole it off the internet so uh uh here we go. The church of Thessalonica is it's a relatively new church. Uh, part of what has happened is Paul and Silas and Timothy, they had visited Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary journey. They organized the church while they were there. There wasn't a, an existing God-fearer church there. Desert Heights is a good name. What if we change it to God-fearer church? God-fearing church. I don't know. we we'll have to work on that. Anyway... Uh, so they, they go, they organize the church, but they had to leave uh, early before it was well-established because the Jews were creating a major problem for Paul and Silas and Timothy. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, they have to leave. The church isn't that established, so they, they go south. Uh, you see, they, first they go to Berea, then they go down to Athens, and then later they end up in Corinth. And it's in Corinth that they're going to write uh, back to the church at Thessalonica. They're writing to encourage the church in their newfound faith. Um, stay there, stay faithful. Uh, they're writing to exhort them to godly living, which is a lot of what the, the part of the reason that I chose First Thessalonians to to preach through over the summer is that there's just a lot of very practical little life living nuggets along the way of First Thessalonians. So it's just very practical how to live a godly life day to day and. Uh, Paul is writing to them to instruct them about the fate of believers who have died. Uh, which is significant because some of them are dying because of their faith. So it's to encourage them, to exhort them, to teach them. It's a great little book. So Paul's second missionary journey, he started out from Jerusalem. He goes north through Antioch and to Tarsus, and later he goes on west and uh, through Asia Minor uh, to Troas. And Troas is a coastal city where he's going to, it's on the right-hand side, he's going to cross over uh, and land in a, uh, across the Aegean Sea, and he's going to land in a little place called uh, Neapolis. Neop- I think is how you say it. Yeah. And then he goes down to Philippi. Philippi is there on the map. Uh, and then he ends up in Thessalonica. Uh, you can read all about it in Acts chapter 17. It tells the whole story of, of Mark's, of Mark's, of Paul's second missionary journey. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, they got run out of Thessalonica for preaching salvation through Jesus to Gentiles. The Jews didn't like Paul's bigoted, narrow minded, message. Imagine that. So they went to Berea, they went on to Athens, and then to Corinth. Um... It's in Corinth that they write the letter of Thessalonica. I'm skipping through some of my notes because some of this is redundant, uh, and I'm just now realizing it. So they're in Corinth, Paul and and his partner Silas and young pastor Timothy. By the way, Timothy is going to go back later on. Paul's going to send Timothy back to Thessalonica. Go pastor this church. It's It's in the war zone, spiritually speaking, Timothy. Good luck, man. Go for it. Uh, so he's going to send it back to Thessalonica. But they're all in Corinth. It's about AD 50, AD 51 when, when this epistle is written. An epistle is a letter. Uh, it's, it's what we had. We had an epistle before we had Email. But you'll remember it now even though it's silly. You can see there on the screen, you can see where God uh, where Paul goes on his first missionary journey uh, somewhere AD 46, 47. Uh, Paul visits Thessalonica on his second missionary journey about AD uh, there is some discrepancy maybe is maybe AD 49. Maybe 8050, but then Paul writes 1 and 2 Thessalonians uh, from, from Corinth in 8051. Then he goes on later to his other missionary journeys and is arrested, and Paul goes to Rome and uh, just kind of a cool chart. Um, this, is, this is what I do all week as I look for cool charts to show on Sunday morning. Okay, moving along. I got service kind of early this morning, so we have lots of time. I'm just going to enjoy myself this morning then. Key verse. Uh, part of the reason that I try to find a key verse uh, in, in each series is that most of the time there is one or two verses in a book that kind of it either summarizes the book or it's kind of the point that that, that pins down all of the other ideas. It's a central idea. Okay. So uh, I point it out because it gives, us, it gives me a good opportunity to repeat that same idea over and over. So if I preach from 1 Thessalonians for two or three or five years, then uh, <laughs> it's not that long, you guys. Uh, then you will remember it because we remember things that are repeated a lot, right? So this, this verse is the key verse because it's kind of central. Okay. So uh, 1 Thessalonians 2:13 says we pleaded with you, we would be Paul and Silas and Timothy. He says we pleaded with you, encouraged you and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For He called you to share in His kingdom and His glory. Oh man, that's a good verse. So this verse does not really summarize the instruction of 1 Thessalonians, but it does give all of the theology of 1 Thessalonians perspective. We're gonna see where Paul is coming from, what he's what lens he's looking through as he teaches the, as he writes the rest of this epistle. We need to understand the perspective. You and I live life with a multitude of people watching, right? Your family's watching, your church is watching, your employees, employers are watching, your friends are watching, your extended family. We live our lives. Uh, in the sight of a whole multitude of people. But there is only one we live for, and that is God. And that's a very important distinction. While everybody may be watching our lives, we live our lives for one, for God. And we do live for Him. Now remember this whole uh, resurrection thing that we just did last week. Jesus lives. He was resurrected from the dead so that his spirit can come and live inside of us so that we may live in a kingdom sense as well. Are you with me so far? That's pretty simple. So the idea is that we have kingdom life beginning with our salvation, beginning with our birth into the spirit by the spirit. That's good. Okay? We have life, so we should be living this kingdom life. Our life should exemplify kingdom principles, the nature of the kingdom. As believers, you and I have a higher calling than making money, hallelujah, paying bills, paying taxes. I think that was this last week or week before last. We have a higher calling than making money, paying bills, paying taxes, dying, Mowing the yard. There's something more to life than all of these mundane things. As believers, as God-fearers, we have been called. Everyone say called. Do you ever think of God calling you? (laughs) Because I think that we've kind of gotten away from this idea because it's kind of been overused in some parts of Christianity where it's like, well, brother, I just don't feel called to be a nursery worker. Nobody feels called to be a nursery worker. Sometimes we just serve because we're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So everybody sign up to help out in the nursery. <laughs> yeah, but, so, so we, we moved away from it. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's several instances in Scripture where God calls those who are going to become God-fearers. And all the God-fearers said amen. But you guys were quiet, so I'm not sure what's happening. God calls us. He says, I have a better plan for you than to just live a mundane life. You have been called to participate, what our key verse tells us this morning, to participate in the kingdom of God and to share in God's glory, which we covered in John 17 several weeks ago. This is not an eschatological event. Eschatological means end times. We don't have to wait until we die and go to heaven to participate in God's kingdom and God's glory. Good. Y'all are getting it. (laughs) We're standing, I feel sometimes like Christianity is standing back with our hands in our pockets and if God would call us into his kingdom, then we'd do something great. Just waiting for God to call me. And the whole time, Scripture is telling us, you have been called from being mundane to being holy. You have been called from being a citizen of this earth to being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven today, not next week. You don't have to die to get this. That's what we celebrated last Friday. Jesus died so that we can celebrate life today. Oh, it's a good Easter message. Yeah, we get to participate in God's kingdom and his glory when? (laughs) Now. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) God has equipped us, you and I, here and now, to live lives that necessarily point toward the transcendent nature and being of the glory of God the Father. Now, not tomorrow, not when we die. Well, when I die, I'm going to become an angel and I'm going to finally start to sing. <laughs> see, while everybody else is singing and watching what's going on on the platform, I'm looking around to see who's singing. <laughs> Y'all singing? We get to worship and glorify God when. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again and lives inside of us. So we don't have to act dead. We we can stop acting dead. If Jesus is alive inside of you, you don't have to act dead. Man, I should have put that in my notes because that's good. Stop acting dead. We do not live to be worthy of this world. It's an important qualifier. We do not live to be worthy of this world, because this world does not want us to overtly live a Christian life, right? Church has its place. Christianity has its place. It's in the church. Let's not. We do not live to be worthy of this world. We live to be considered worthy of the kingdom of heaven by God the Father. We are called to God's kingdom. We are called to God's glory. So, Paul tells us, live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Not the pastor, not your Sunday school teacher, not the person you're sitting on the chair next to, not your boss, not not your mom, not your dad, not your brother, not your sister. We should write a song. The only one we live for is God the Father because he's the one that we want him to count us worthy before his throne. Man, that's good. OK, here we go. Uh, that, that's key verse. So we're going to come back to that multiple times over the next two or three years, okay? Uh, I can tell we're going to have to go slow through this. I'm kidding. Greeting. That's, my, that's not really my point. It's more of a designation. Greeting. Uh, this is the first part of Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. We are starting now. So, so now I'm starting to preach. First uh, 1 Thessalonians 1:1, 1, 1, it says, "This is the letter from Paul. Silas and Timothy. They travel together. We see it in the book of Acts. Acts 17 tells us this whole story. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who what? Belong. Oh, that's good. To God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. Now, Paul often uh, starts off with kind of a standardized salutation of greetings. I'm writing to you. Bless you. May you have peace and, and grace. Uh, we see that Paul and Silas, they've contributed together to writing this letter. Uh, but for the sake of just being clear, I'll always say Paul wrote First uh, and Second Thessalonians, uh, but they probably contributed together because they're traveling together. Uh, right from the salutation, Paul begins to hammer away at the fact that this church at Thessalonica does not belong to this world. There's a theme going throughout the rest of First and 2 Thessalonians. You do not belong to this world. We tend to be very attached to it, but you don't belong to this, ch- to this world. The church, I know that this is, gonna, this is terribly elementary, but it's, it's an epiphany. The church does not belong to this world. The church belongs to who? To God and to Jesus Christ. He bought it with his blood last Friday night, dude. It's God's church. It's not this world's church. So this church does not have to conform to the standards and the the, uh, the expectations of this world. Because it doesn't belong to this world, man. My wife has one priority. Well, she has a couple of priorities. But one of her priorities... Is to make me happy. She doesn't have to make any other man in the world happy. Kind of her father, but mostly me. (laughs) I don't live for any other woman in the world. I live for my wife. We come to church and we're this is what's happening with Thessalonica. This is what's happening with America and the world today, is we're trying to balance. Well, I have to make all these people happy, and I'm trying to make God happy. And if I make God happy, it offends a whole bunch of people. Commit, dude. It's what this is. Committed to one woman. If I can make one woman happy in my lifetime, to God be the glory. (laughs) Some of you guys are getting nervous right now. It's like, oh man, Uh, I'm not doing good at making one woman happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The church does not belong to the world. The church belongs to God the Father, and to Jesus Christ. This is the church of God. This is the church of Jesus Christ. This is not the church of the world. Okay? So 1 Thessalonians, uh, uh, look, look at verse 2 and 3. Chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. So he does his salutation, we're moving along. And I'm actually going to have kind of a point. I put all this in your bulletin, so hopefully you can uh, try to make some sense. 1 Thessalonians 1 uh verses 2 and 3. He says, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Got your brain around that? As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a random thought as I'm reading this. This is a church that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they come into Thessalonica, they kind of organize it, they kind of give it some structure, they preach the gospel, there's some believers, some god but then they have to leave town before the church has any sense of maturity, or what we would call maturity. However, whenever he writes back to, them, to this new church... He commends them. When we pray for you, Thessalonica, we remember that you work faithfully, that you have loving deeds, and that you have enduring hope. This is a new church. We're not talking about somebody that has been a member of a church for 40 years. This is a new church, okay? New people that have been transformed by the life-giving resurrection power of Jesus Christ, just because it's Easter, man work on it. All right, so here we go. Uh, From that text, number one is prayer and gratitude. He says, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Now, I do think that if not all of us, pretty close to all of us, really appreciate being appreciated, right? We like for somebody to say, boy, you did a good job. We like to know that someone else noticed and appreciates our efforts. When you do a good job, I'm throwing my son under the bus. Ever since he was really little, it didn't matter what he did, he comes, grabs mom and dad, you got to see this. I just destroyed your car. (laughs) It is awesome. Come on, it's so cool. He never did that, but you can understand. And even if he was breaking something, it was, oh, you got to look and see what I did. Because <laughs> we like to be recognized, we like to be appreciated. We like for someone else to notice our efforts. But sometimes we get so busy with life, we do, that we fail or we're slow to appreciate others' efforts. Uh, Paul is writing back to Thessalonica and he's saying, I thank God for what you've done. I thank God for your efforts. I thank God for the fruit that we see in your lives. So there's a couple of things that are happening here in this verse. In prayer, number one, in prayer, they are being thankful to God for the church. Often, uh, well... It's about prayer. We, we take our, our thankfulness, our gratitude to God about the church, okay? So sometimes whenever people move away, uh, they, they call me back or they, they communicate with me and they say, they say Brent, uh, we really miss the church. I mean, this was our church. This is where a lot of people got, this is where they came to faith in Christ. This is where their faith grew and they move away for whatever reason. and, And now they don't really have, they have a hard time finding a church that they like. We sometimes take our church family, the church, for granted. And I say church family because this is not about me. This is not about this building, okay? This is about our church family us getting together and being a church. We take it for granted sometimes. We, we start thinking in the back of our minds that, that, well, this is God's church, and so the church will always be there. I mean, you don't plan on your church just disappearing, drive up next Sunday and there's no desert heights. That's not on our minds. It's just always going to be here. Uh, I don't need to tell God that I'm thankful for my church. He knows that I'm, I mean, I show up. Is that not enough gratitude? Well, <laughs> I show up sometimes, is that not enough gratitude? I show up on Easter, for all those people that aren't here. The church will be here, hopefully until Jesus comes back, but God may move you. So you may want God to know from time to time that you appreciate your church, so that he'll be looking for you, a church, if and when you move away. You follow? So you don't know what the future holds. God may have a plan to move you to Timbuktu. You probably ought to take a moment on a regular basis to say thank you, Jesus, for my church family. I love them. Thank you for putting me here where people love you and love to worship you and love your word and want to grow. Thank you for the church. Because I do believe that if God has a plan to move you, he'll also make a plan to put you in a really great church. So thank him for it. You know, the things that we are grateful for, outwardly grateful for, the things that we communicate that we are appreciative of, those are the things that get repeated typically. So if we tell God what we're grateful for, God, I just thank you for a, for a church with a wonderful pastor. Then you'll get a church with a wonderful pastor. <laughs> Make a habit of praying and giving thanks to God for your church. Don't take it for granted. Thank God for your church. The second thing is Paul tells the church, not just that he's thankful for them, but he's writing to them to say that I'm, he is thanking, thanking God in prayer for them. He says, hey Thessalonica, it's not just that I appreciate you. I want you to know that I am going before the God of heaven and earth and telling him that I appreciate you being a great church. I am praying to God, telling him I'm thankful for you. There is something empowering about knowing that someone else is being grateful to God on your behalf. That's true. It's one thing for somebody to say, hey, I appreciate you, man. It's a whole nother thing to say, hey, I talked to your boss the other day, and I told him what a great job you did for me. Amen. You did, huh? thank you. We can do that in the church. We can, we can come to people and say something along the lines of, hey, by the way, I've been telling God how much I appreciate that you greet me every Sunday morning. Do you appreciate being greeted every Sunday morning? I mean, you could just trip your way in and hope to find a seat. But no, we have wonderful people that come early and make coffee and put their name tags on and their smile and they shake your hand and make you feel welcome. We appreciate those people. We tell God we appreciate those people. We tell those people that we have told God that we appreciate those people. Well, Brent, this is just way too simple. No, I'll tell you what is way too simple is whenever the church comes to church and acts dead, and and Paul gives us a way to look alive. I've been praying to God the Father this week, telling him that I'm grateful for you. Hey, I was talking to God about you this week. I was telling him how much I appreciate you helping with the nursery at church. It means a lot for parents to be able to sit in service and listen and grow and not have to worry about their kids. We could say something like, I was praying this week, and you were on my mind. I was thanking God for, for the church, for a church church who has a children's ministry with children's teachers who are faithful and loving and truly value teaching God's word to my children. I am talking to God about how grateful I am for you. That's empowering, man. That makes you want to actually look alive. When I was on staff at, uh, well, it was 100 years ago now, uh, I know you don't think I'm that old, I just age well. Uh, it was 100 years ago, uh, I was on staff at this church where the pastor thought that we needed to have prayer meeting as, as a staff at seven o'clock every morning. Oh Lord, help us, deliver us. So at seven o'clock every morning, we were there for prayer in the auditorium. And Pastor David Sassy, uh, he walked or he walked and prayed, which made perfect sense because all the staff would find a comfortable place on the padded pews and we would sleep and pray we were like disciples, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, he prayed and we slept. Uh, but, but part of what was the motivation that kept me showing up for prayer was Pastor David Sasse walking around the auditorium, calling out the names of the staff members in prayer, thanking God for them, praying for our ministries, praying for our families. Praying for all of the people in the church, praying for people who I knew were causing problems in the church. And every morning he goes before the throne of God to pray for his people. And I would go, not because I cared, he was praying for all of you guys, he was praying. He was at some point, David Sasse was gonna say, Lord, I pray for Brent today. Like, okay, I'm I'm awake now. I have I have pew print on my face and I have slobber, but. But hey, my pastor has is, is gone before the throne of God and brought my name to God. Amen. I will work hard today then because I know that somebody cares. It's empowering. Um, I'm not sure that there is a more humbling, more empowering experience than to know that someone is thanking God for you. Okay, so there's, there's two, two actions to put to this. One is thank God for your church. In your prayer time, when you're doing your soap, you don't have to just pray about your soap. You can pray for your church too. You can pray and say, "Thank you, Lord, for my church. Thank you for the greeters. Thank you for the nursery workers. Thank you for the people that make the coffee. Hallelujah. Thank you for the people that work at the welcome desk and run the sound and the video and the lights and the the children's church workers." And there's so many things that have to go. On. Thank you, Lord, for a bunch of people who are willing to give of their time and their talent and their treasure. To to make Sunday morning happen. Thank you, Lord. And the second thing is tell them. Tell them that you're praying for them and that you're thanking God for them. There's going to be a lot of gratitude here after service. Okay? Is that simple enough? We have a higher calling than just walking into church and sitting on a chair. We are here to exemplify the kingdom and the glory of God. And Paul has given us instructions of how to do that. Actions to be thankful for. Number two. Actions to be thankful for. Here we go. Now, if you want people to be thankful to God for you, here are some things that you should do. Because you can't just be a nitwit and then expect God to, to be, uh, other people to be thankful for you, right? You understand what I'm saying? If you're not doing anything, if you're playing dead, i uh, are just going to let it go. <laughs> yeah. Watch it, Orrin. <laughs> So he says, verse three, he says, as we pray to God, our Father, about you, we think of your faithful work, that's going to be number one, your loving deeds, number two, and the enduring, and, and the enduring faith, hope, hope, sorry, I'm thinking while I'm reading, and the enduring hope, number three, that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, number one, faithful work, faithful work. Now, Paul is not, strictly speaking, Paul is not talking about uh, people who, who are just show up on a regular basis and do what they're saying. That, that's being faithful, but that's not really where he's going. He is saying that you, your work, what you do, your actions are led and are full of faith. They are led by your faith in Christ Jesus and they are full of faith. Because sometimes we show up faithfully, but we show up like, I'm not really sure if if this is what God wants me to do. Well, serving other people and loving other people is what God wants you to do. So you can come full of faith and and knowing that you are here to bring glory to God, and you can come with confidence because your actions are filled with faith. Make sense? Scripture guides our faith. There's a difference. Um, We don't work just to be working. We're not here just to do a task. It's much bigger than that. Our work is shaped by our faith in Jesus. It is because of what we believe about what God has done in our lives and what God is going to do in other people's lives. I try, I try every once in a while to communicate it well, and I, I, I know that I fail often. But, you know, working in the nursery is not about taking care of kids and changing diapers. It is about the bigger picture of parents being able to come in and concentrate on the teaching of God's Word so that they will grow in their faith. So, well, it's, the nursery's not that important. A greeter is not important. Singing on the praise team its not that important. It's not that big deal. It's not like we're preaching God's Word. No, you are paving the way and making the environment where people are available to listen and hear and grow in their faith. So, yeah, it is all important. We come here and we serve one another because we believe that God is going to reach down from heaven and transform somebody's life. I don't preach because I love to hear myself preach. Well, I kind of I do, but uh, I do. <laughs> I love to preach because I know that it's going to transform your eternity. That's why I'm here. Okay, there's a little tangent there. I'm going to come back here. We work because we know that ministering God's gospel of grace to others makes an eternal difference in their lives. So faith-filled work has deep motivation and conviction. I had to figure out what I had written there. When we come to serve out out of our, our faith, We are convicted about what we do. We do it with the very best that we have to give. We are here to serve Jesus. We do live for God, not for other people. Does that make sense? But whenever we live for God, we give our very best. And so it's going to be better than even what other people's expectations are. So we work out of our faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, loving deeds loving deeds. Sometimes we do things for people not because they need it, but simply because we love them. So if there was ever an altar call at first, at at, uh, what church are we at? At Desert Heights? I started to say First Assembly because I was talking about First Assembly a while ago. That's where I used to work. Anyway, uh, this this would be the point that I have to answer the, the altar call. Sometimes we do things for people not because they need it, but simply because we love them. Just because we love them, the emphasis here is on the love that we have for others, not the deed i can I can be a pretty task oriented person from time, actually, as I get older, I get more task oriented less people oriented um, I just uh you know, I, I have lots of things to do, and so, so I, I make my list, and I can actually do it on my phone now where I can make the list with a little bubble, and whenever I'm done with that task, I can touch it, and it checks it off. I <laughs> feel really good about myself, and then I go on. And unfortunately, you can't put people on a list and check them off because that will get you in trouble. So every once in a while, I have this whole list of things that I got to do, and my wife comes along, and she says, we should do this for so-and-so, and I say, they don't need it. If they don't need it, why do I need to go do it? She's like, because we love them. Oh. (laughs) It happens with my kids a lot. Why are you giving them $20 to go to Taco Bell? They should be able to eat there for $1.99 like I used to. (laughs) (laughs) They don't need it, my wife says, because we love them. I don't know that I love them that much. I'm off point again. We do things just because we love Him. A lot of us tend to be task-oriented people, right? And so it's very hard for us to stop and say, I'm just going to bless you because God has loved me and He's blessed me, so I'm just going to bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out for a meal not because I need to, but just because I love you, and I want you to know I love you. I love spending time with you. I love hanging out with you. I love drinking coffee with you. I'm going to come help you in your yard, not because you need help, but because I just enjoy. It. Uh, oh man, poor Oren! I think he walked out of the room. So let's talk about him. Uh, this week, I, I'm I'm being Pastor Plumber. I'm under a mobile home; it's all clogged up. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but a whole bunch of problems there. I'm laying underneath it. Oren calls me. He's like, "Man, have you got anybody helping you?" "Hey, no, I don't have anybody helping me." <laughs> no, I didn't, uh, because because I'm a man, right? I'll do this myself. I don't need no help. And Orrin's like, "Whatever, you're a sucker." And so he he comes over and he's under the mobile home and he helps me for hours. And I'm I, his poor wife, Charlotte, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that she's got things that you know she would like her husband to come home. And he's just he's just being a good guy to me, and I appreciate it. We appreciate being loved when we don't need it, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard for us. Whenever I say us, it's mostly me. It's hard. Ha, shh, horns back. I talked about you while you were gone, man. It was good. I'll settle for $20. Uh, yeah, we have, to, we, have to, we have to act not out of need always, but out of love. Because whenever Paul's praying for the church at Thessalonica, he said, whenever you did your actions, it was out of love, not out of necessity. Because just because you love people. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Did he need to die on the cross? Not for himself. He was saved. He loved us. It wasn't necessary. Not for him. He loves you and I. So we do things for other people because we love them, not because it's necessary. Okay? There's a time to be cerebral. If you don't know what that word is, then I'm not talking to you. There is a time to be (laughs) cerebral and do things for others because they need it. But there's also a time to let the love of God overflow out of your heart and put that love into action for someone just because. No reason, just because we love them. Christ's love for you should not just be an idea, but it should be put into action. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So Paul's praying, he's like, he says, God, thank you for Thessalonica. And then he remembers, these are people who just loved us. You know, when the Jews were treating us terrible, the, the church at Thessalonica, they brought us food. They, they gave us, they were just hospitable. They gave us a place to stay. They just loved us. Whenever we left, they hugged us real big and, man, we're going to miss you guys. They just loved us. So Paul in his prayer he says, Lord, thank you for, for Thessalonica, that they're just a loving group of people. It's pretty simple, isn't it? This whole Christianity thing's way too simple. More people ought to do it. Number three, enduring hope. Enduring hope. Uh, enduring hope implies that there is something tough to endure, right? I mean, if you're gonna have to endure, you don't you don't endure Mexican food for lunch. You celebrate it. (laughs) Yeah, no, you endure You endure having to go to Taco Bell three times in one day. That's really bad. (laughs) You you endure the after effects. All right, moving along. Uh, (laughs) Life is not a cakewalk. There are difficulties. There's challenges in life. Living an overtly Christian life. Watch, we're going to tie this all back together, and then I'm going to quit. Living an overtly Christian life has its painful moments. Keeping hope through these painful moments is what sets us apart from the rest of the world because we have a hope that is transcendent. We have a calling that is transcendent to this mundane world. So when this mundane world is falling all apart, we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We don't have to worry that the economy is falling apart. Our retirement plan is in heaven, and you'll die to get it. <laughs> That's pretty funny, huh? Keeping hope through the bad times separates us from the rest of the real world. The rest of the world, their best hope is their next paycheck. That's pretty sad. Or the next time they get to use their coolest toy. Uh, a long time ago, there was a single mom in our church. She had a couple of kids. You guys wouldn't know her. This is a long time ago. Um, I kind of had the inside story on her life. She struggled. She struggled like most single moms do. She struggled financially. She was struggling with her relationship with her ex husband. Uh, Her children were kind of coming to this age where they really needed the firm hand of a father. So she was having troubles raising her her two kids. Uh, Her car broke down like every half a mile. And uh, she just, she was, life was terrible to her. She was having a hard time. Um, If there was ever a person who had a good reason to be defeated about life, this young lady did. But she showed up to church every Sunday with a smile on her face. She was happy to be there, happy to serve. She helped out in the kids' classes. She helped out in the nursery when she could. Uh, If you didn't know the inside story of what was actually going on in the rest of her life, on Sunday morning, she'd just come in beaming, and you thought she was the queen of the world. She was on top of, of the world. Why? Because we have an enduring hope. We have a hope that is much greater than what's going on here. So no matter how bad things are here, we have a hope in Jesus Christ. We have a hope in eternity. We have a hope in the kingdom of God and His glory, and so we can live victoriously. That is what enduring hope is. Now, don't let, don't let every hiccup cause you to lose hope of eternity, right? Right? That, that happens to us from time to time. I told you a while ago, I have a list of things that I want to do. And you know what sucks the hope out of my life? Is when someone interrupts my list. <laughs> so this last week, I had a list, preparing a new sermon series for the church, the kingdom of God, right? It's kingdom work. And then I get a call from a renter. My plumbing won't work. You have interrupted My list not that big of a deal. So I lay underneath the mobile home and I'm thinking about the next series and I'm kind of, it was fine. It was perfectly fine. Was it what I wanted to do? No. But I don't show up at people's homes that know that I'm a pastor, that know that I'm a Christian. That's a bigger issue. Being a pastor is of no consequence. If they think that I'm a God-fearer and a little clogged plumbing defeats me, what does that say about my God? So, by the way, I do plumbing with a Sawzall. You can fix a clog with a Sawzall. Now, where it goes after that, that's a whole other issue. But, man, you just get under there. Anyway, if y'all need some plumbing done at your house, I'm available after service. Uh, everyone, everyone is going through their own trial. I heard a guy say one time, "If if we could all go into a room and everybody put their problems on the table, and then when you leave, you have to take one problem, we would probably all take our own problem that we brought in because everybody has a different set of problems and we don't want their problems. We have our problems. Everybody has their own problems, but every one of us is grateful to see, watch this, every one of us is grateful to see someone else go through their trial and keep their hope in God intact. You see this is church is not just about you. <laughs> Big surprise to some of you. It's not just about you. This is about you coming through as a God-fearer victorious in day-to-day life because someone else is watching you and they're saying, "I want to live with hope like that person." Wow. Biggest test, one of the testimonies that we have is to live life with hope. It is possible to stay positive about the future. It is possible to endure. It is possible to have hope when all of this life is falling apart around us. Paul says, we pleaded with you, we encouraged you, we urged you, he's pushing them hard, to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For He called you, God Himself has called you to share in His kingdom and His glory. We live our lives in a way that God would consider worthy because... We are called to his kingdom and we're called to his glory. We don't live worthy lives worthy of salvation. Salvation comes first. We live worthy lives because God has saved us, made us his children, we're transformed. Now, um, I, I want to be uh, respectful of all of the, the Sunday school teachers and the nursery workers, but I want to pray for our church, and I want you to pray for our church. We've talked about prayer and Thanksgiving this morning, and so we need to take a few moments to put this in practice. Uh, we're going to pray for a whole bunch of people, so we're going to have a little, little bit of prayer. Some of you. Oh, man, Brad. You can't mention Mexican food and then say we're going to have a prayer meeting. It's not fair. It's not fair. Uh, But we need to pray, okay? So I'm going to ask you to stand. If you don't feel like you can stand for three or four or five minutes, uh, I'm not going to pray long, long, long. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray for some people, okay? We're going to pray for our church. So I want you to stand with us. Stand with me. We are the church, the people that are standing with you. This is our church. This is the people that we're, we're going to pray for. So I'm going to name some people. I'm going to pray. And since I got the microphone, that's what you're going to hear. But you are welcome to pray in your spot. Pray for your church. Okay? Father, thank you for this congregation. I thank you for all of those that, that uh, call Desert Heights their home church. I thank you for the salvation that you are displaying in all of their lives. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you. I thank you that I get to to be a part of their uh, spiritual growth, that I, I get to be involved in, in what is going on at Desert Heights, Lord. I'm just I'm thankful that uh, I'm a part of a fantastic church that is working towards loving you, and and growing in your Word and growing in faith and reaching out to our community to get to get people to know the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for Josh Valdez, our associate pastor today. I thank you for the love that he has for your word, I thank you for his, his drive to teach people the truth about what you have to say about salvation and about your scriptures, Lord. I thank you for your commitment, for his commitment to, to help young people grow and to, to help us get life groups in place and to train our life group leaders. I, I thank you for his heart for the church. Lord, I, I thank you for Camille Kathy, for leading our, our children's ministry. Lord, that she, she champions, with all, before all of the other teachers, she champions the importance of loving your word and loving children and the importance of teaching to them on their levels where they can learn and they can grow. And, and we begin to instill your word into their lives, Lord, so that, so that when your spirit touches their spirit, that they will come alive in you, Father. I thank you for Camille. Lord, I thank you for Oren and his ministry on the praise team uh, the last few weeks and for for helping out in all the areas of of the church that he he worked so hard for. Lord, I just thank you for him. I thank you for his commitment for his family, Lord. Thank you for Diane and all of the administration that she does in our church and for organizing and for helping me and just being my, my helper in all the aspects of my life, but specifically uh, the ministry of the church and, and working alongside of me and, and blessing me. Lord, thank you for our pastoral leadership team. I thank you for men that love you and are convicted about serving you and serving your church. Men who you have given your wisdom to. You've put your life inside of them and they want to glorify you. Lord, I thank you for Ryan. I thank you for his incredible heart for ministering and loving people. I thank you for Greg Kathy, for his willingness to serve in, in whatever area of the church that he just has. He has a gift of serving, Lord. I thank you for that. Thank you for Tim Valdez and his understanding of relationships and his gift of hospitality and his desire to make people feel welcome and at home in our church. I thank you for Chaz Weaver for his desire to serve you and his, his gift of teaching that you've put in him Lord, in his desire to see the church grow and strengthen, thank you for our pastoral leadership team, Father. Lord, I thank you for all of our ministry team leaders. Thank you for Candace for leading our nursery, and, and Connie for being faithful and serving week after week. Lord, bless them. Thank you for their servant's heart and their faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for, uh, for Liz, for working in our, our women's ministry. Father, I pray for all of the ministries of our church. Lord, we have a number of people that are that serve every Sunday or on a rotation, and they they give up their time and they give up uh, what they could be doing instead. And I'm I'm grateful for all of our greeters. I'm grateful for those that work at our welcome desk. I'm thankful for all of our Sunday school teachers, our children's teachers, and our adult teachers. I'm thankful for all of those who serve on the praise team, for those who work the the audio, the sound, and the video, and and all of the the technical ministries of our church. Thank you for putting it on people's hearts to to take care of those things and to serve and to problem solve. Thank you for our life group leaders that make an incredible difference in the lives of people in our church. Lord, I thank you for the, the group of ladies that work together to lead our women's ministry. Lord, I just, I'm grateful for all of those who are faithful to serve. I'm grateful for those who are faithful to give. I am, I'm thankful for those who are faithful to encourage in our church. Lord, I just. I pray that, that you would bless your people, bless your church today, all of those that you have gifted and you've called and you've put your life inside and, and they're, they're living to bring you glory. Lord, I just pray that you continue to reach down from heaven and divinely, miraculously, supernaturally touch their lives. Lord, bless them today. Bless their families. Lord, help us to always have a hope that endures, that we can keep our, our, our eyes fixed on you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow your love inside of us so that we'll love either others even more just like you love other people, Father. Lord, I pray that you'll teach us to be grateful for one another, Lord, and to be grateful for the church. I just thank you for your word today. Thank you for your people. Thank you that we get to be a part of your incredible kingdom. And thank you for demonstrating your glory in each one of us. Lord, I pray that as we go forward this week, that these words will not be lost to simplicity. But Lord, that these words will be printed upon our hearts and our memories. So that as we live this week, we live out of love and faithfulness and enduring hope. Lord, we love you be glorified in our lives, be glorified in our church. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.